Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Technology for Teachers. I apologize I couldn't be with you in person last week, but my wife is doing well, and outpatient surgery is a good thing, and medical insurance is a good thing. I'm trying to finish my degree this semester so that I can get medical insurance again. My wife says, that would be a good thing if you had that for our family. So it's always good to have when you go to the emergency room, middle of the night, Christmas, which we did, and anyway, when you have some surgeries. So my name is Wes Fryer. I am absolutely delighted to be able to be here. This is my fifth semester to teach this class in one place or another. I taught this class, two sections of it, last spring here at UCO. Last semester, I was in Denton at the University of North Texas teaching the same course for pre-service teachers. And way back in 2005, I was teaching in Lubbock, Texas, where I lived at Wayland Baptist University. And I really love this topic. Probably one of the best things that you could do when you're in college is, is have an instructor or a professor who loves what they do, because if they love what they do, uh, maybe that's a little contagious, and maybe that's going to make learning a little bit better. We're going to start with a highly non-technological strategy, but I would like for you to fold the piece of paper I've given you hot dog style. If you're just coming in, grab a piece of paper there. So fold it hot dog style. And I would like to write the first name that you would like to go by in this class on your piece of paper, and then just put that on your uh, computer as a sort of place card or name tag right there. And if you'll do that for me each week when, when uh, you come in, you can recycle and use the same page over and over again, or we can jump into the college's allotment of 20 pages per day. So we'll, uh, I think I exceeded my quota today handing these out to you. But um, <coughs> that'll just kind of help us get to know each other. And I will probably get to know you this semester even better through the things that you end up writing on our class blog as you reflect and share things and write. How many of you were able to successfully uh, get a post up on our class blog? All right. If you did not, um, please visit with me, and uh, you may have already sent me an email, and I um, am going to do my best to be diligent in getting back to everybody. Um, and we will um, next week talk, or the week after next, we'll talk a little bit about WebCT. Um, but on our uh, course website, you've got my UCO email address, and that's going to be the best bet for getting a hold of me. Um, anybody here get too little email? You need more? Anybody? It's always good for me to compartmentalize my email. And this is something that you might find as a teacher as well. You might not want your kids to be emailing you on your regular account. You might want to have that as your professional account. In the case of teaching college classes and having 50 students, it's just nice to also know where you know students kind of fit, what, what class they're in, things like that. And so WebCT is another way for contact, but um, my UC, UCO email address is probably going to be the best bet. I am recording our session with audio. Not because I think you'll love hearing this again every week, but because something will inevitably come up for many of us during the semester. And if you miss class, um, at a minimum, all of the resources that we, of course, talk about will be available. And you can also listen to the audio recording of the session. It's really pretty easy to do. These cost $35 at Walmart now. Um, not this specific model, the RCA, but they plug right into your computer, Mac or Windows, runs on a battery. Pretty cool. And I... Having taught this class before, just know that stuff will happen. And uh, again, it's not something that I'm expecting you to check in with every time, but it's a way 
you're paying for this. You're probably paying a lot for this, right? Uh, so you ought to get your money's worth. And anyway, that's a resource. Somebody tell me uh, what happened with Dr. Wakefield last time because I wasn't here. What did she go over? What did she, what did she say? She played my marvelous video. Okay. How much do you think it cost me to make that? Yeah, I had bought the software. We're going to learn how to make a screencast similar to that this semester. You don't have to have your own video in it. In fact, the way I'll teach you, we'll use a free method that doesn't include a webcam option, just a screencast. Um, but anyway, at least you got to have a little bit of introduction. Did anything else besides the video? About how long did you all stay? Oh, really? Like, like the, the computers the, wouldn't start up right. They were like doing some reboots. Really? Okay. Technical stuff. We have to expect technical things. I was in Amarillo, Texas on Monday <clears throat> at a conference for people in Region 16. Anybody from Texas? Anybody move from Texas? Whereabouts in Texas? Carrollton. Carrollton. Okay. Carrollton Thomas Branch. I've uh, lived in Lubbock for 13 years. I was in the Air Force before that. So I started my teaching in Texas. And so it felt a little bit like coming home. But... Uh, Anyway, there were a thousand people in the in the Civic Center in Amarillo, Texas, for this conference. It's a technology conference. Our entire presentation is on the internet, and guess what? The entire internet for the city of Amarillo was down all day. So, what would we do in that kind of a situation? It would have been good to have a backup, <laughs> right? To have it downloaded. So it just so happens, come on in and have a seat. Grab, grab one up here, or we can grab a seat in the back, wherever you want. And if you grab a sheet of paper there, you can uh, make a little name tag for yourself, uh, just so I'll be able to see your name as you wherever you, you sit. Um, I had internet on my phone, and so I was able to tether my phone to my computer, download my presentation, download the YouTube videos, and we were okay. But it happens. So... Today, we are going, uh, how many of you were able to read Redefining the Beginner? Did you all take a look at that? If you have not, isn't this funny? What did I just do? Have you had this happen to you before? My wife literally goes to our television sometimes at the house and like, I don't want to make you go. <clears throat> this is our smart board, so I have to click over here if I want this to go. Um, if I hold my mouse down, I get the pop-up menu just like I right-clicked, and I can open something in a new window. Um, we are going to have, as you probably saw in the syllabus, a couple exams, which are not going to be extremely complicated and difficult. They're going to be multiple choice. Pardon me. Um, but some of those questions are going to draw on what we have in our readings. And so one of the things that that chapter, Redefining the Beginner, talks about, which is not coming up, isn't that nice, uh, is this idea of tabbed browsing. Um, how many of you now do this. You make tabs in your web browser. Okay. Does anybody use a different browser besides Internet Explorer today? What, what do you use? Google Chrome. Okay. Anybody use anything else? Mozilla, Firefox, which is like the descendant of Netscape. I don't know if y'all are remembering Netscape back in the day, but it is the descendant of that. Interestingly, I learned that basically Google pays Mozilla thousands and thousands of dollars to have uh, Google as the search engine for their site. And so that's how they make their money. They have a development team of about 100 people that develop Mozilla Firefox for Windows, for Mac, for Linux. And so anyway, that's how that works. Huh. Is our internet down or is this this one website down? Just, this one. Just that one. Okay. 
So hopefully that's not going to remain. Let me go ahead and tell you the first thing to do, and this will be the case always when we come to class, is to check in with Roll. And so on our page, which is wiki.westfriar.com slash t4t, there's a link that says 9, and that's for 9 a.m. So if you click on that, I have created for free on a website called Poll Everywhere just a simple open text survey. So if you'll click in here, you will type your name, and you will click Submit Response. We're going to have units that are going to be on the smart board, but I'm probably going to use the smart board a whole lot in class, just showing stuff and how to do things. There are two buttons up here, and the best way that you'll learn about the smart board, of course, is using it yourself, not watching me do it. But whenever I want the keyboard, there's a button up here, the top button that says Keyboard, and it brings my keyboard up so I can type stuff when I'm up here. So if you submit that, then that goes into the survey. I can see that you have checked in, and I'll be able to turn the survey off after class. But that's just a simple example of how we can do a survey and do a poll. So has anybody ever heard? Yes? I'm sorry. I can't get into the same thing that everybody else can. Okay. I went to that site, and it brought us to a completely different site. Okay. Make sure you have the T4C at the back. Huh. Okay. Go ahead and type it one more time, and let's see what it does. And, yeah, and you don't even have to do the HTTP, but that's okay. Just, yeah, wiki.westfriar. I'm just trying to get exact. That's right, right? Uh-huh. And then just hit, yeah. Are you kidding me? That's okay. One thing to know about me is there's not such thing as a silly or stupid question, okay? If you have a question, somebody else probably has the same question. And one of the biggest things with technology that happens all the time is people are afraid, okay? We're afraid to ask a question. We're afraid that we're going to screw this up. We're afraid of so many things. We're living in one of the biggest days of change ever. My grandmother on my dad's side was born in 1903. Anybody know what happened in terms of transportation in 1903? In the in the world, do you have resources at your fingertips to be able to figure it out? Please, you you okay? He knew he knew. You could have Googled that too, right? Um, open up a new tab, go to Google, and let's um, type in you know what happened in 1903. Uh, in flight, flight. That's right, powered flight. Uh, where did it happen? Yep. And the name of uh, the people who did it? Orville and Wilbur. So my dad, who grew up in Powell, Wyoming, liked to tell a story about his, his mom, my grandmother, to say she saw so much change in her life. You know, isn't it incredible to think about because she died in the early 1990s. I want to say it might have been 90, 89, 90. Anybody remember when the shuttle launched for the first time? 
Were you alive when Challenger blew up? Do you remember where you were? Watching it at school? Yeah, that was 86. So the Challenger, or I mean the Columbia, launched in 81, okay, five years before that. So my grandmother in 1903 saw, sort of, I mean she was a little small when this happened, but in her lifetime from horses, you know, basically, Model T cars, all the way through the age of flight. And I wonder if we're living in a day where we're going to see more change than she did. Because how fast has it been that CD, well, records became cassettes, became CDs, became MP3s, you know? How many of you have some kind of a music player that you listen to? Not necessarily an iPhone, but some kind, you know? Do you remember cassette tapes? Do you remember having to make a mix and being able to expect what the next song was? Because that was the mix that you made, you know? Anyway, there's lots of things that are not around um, that have been replaced, and the pace of change is so quick. So throughout this class, I want you to remember to please ask questions. I want you to remember to use your neighbor. I taught in the computer lab at our elementary school for four years as a facilitator, and one of my rules was for a technical question, ask three, then ask me. Why? Because if your students are just dependent on you for their learning, number one, you are crippling them, and number two, you're probably going to drive yourself crazy. Now, if you'd like to ask about how my wife's surgery went or, you know, um, some other kind of personal question or instructor question that nobody else is going to know, um, you know, definitely ask. And I don't want to inhibit you, but I want you to use each other as resources. I think we want our students to do that as well. Because the number one resource we all have in our classroom, especially with respect to technology, those are the kids, okay, the students. And so if the students help each other, they help me as the teacher, we assist each other, then we're all probably going to learn a whole lot more. I'm also going to encourage you to use your tools and your resources to answer questions uh, and to be able to figure stuff out. So. I'm not going to uh, go into more detail about the syllabus, but since I wasn't here last time to answer questions, does anybody have a, have a question that they'd like to ask um, related to the syllabus or course expectations or something like that? Remember, there's not a silly or stupid question, so if you've got one, ask. You can see I have a marvelous office here at UCO. Actually, what I did last semester, they don't have office space for adjuncts, is... Um, at times when we needed to, I just reserved the lab on some different days and we had some open lab time. I can reserve other classrooms. Um, I had thought about meeting at Starbucks. I'm, we haven't, we, I, didn't, I didn't do that last semester. The main thing to probably look at is that we're, you know, the projects that we're going to be doing. And the first one we'll talk about today is the Pecha Show. I'm going to demonstrate that um, and we're going to sign up for those and talk about them. But anybody want to ask a question? What's this called when I'm being quiet after asking a question? Right. A couple of thoughts on wait time. Number one, most instructors, what, with wait time? Got any questions? Oh, good. That's great. Let's go on. So we don't wait long enough. Number two, a lot of times we don't think of the question the moment the instructor says, hey, you got a question. So... One of the things that we have in our class is called a Frequently Asked Questions blog. 
And up on our resources page, we've got our links to our blogs, but then there's this thing on number five, frequently asked questions. This is something I've been using now for a couple semesters. And if you have got a question, you could search for that question right off the bat. So let's say you had a question about Scratch. We're going to learn how to use Scratch this semester, which I'm so excited about. And I bet that's going to be several of your favorite um, favorite things. Of course, I didn't spell Scratch right, so that might help. Let me try that again. So here are some things that dealt with Scratch. That may or may not be an answer to your question. But you might be able to find it. You can click here to search the submitted questions and see what other people have submitted. You'll have to go down to the bottom. This is using a Google form. The question has been answered. It's down here where uh, there's a link to it. And you can also then just click to use this Google form. Who's used a Google form before? Anybody? I'm going to have you, you, what, what have you seen it used by? Or have, Awesome. And does anybody know how much it costs to do those? They're free. Why is Google so nice? Why do they give all this stuff away? Anybody know? Anybody have a theory on that? My answer is um, they have so much revenue from ads that they can uh, invest money in other things and, and be creative. Practically speaking, they would like to hook us on their services, so they'd like everybody to use Gmail and use these tools. Why? Because we get to see their ads, right? And that helps their revenue stream. Um, but I also just think they're a creative company, and they want to encourage creativity. There's a profit motive there, but they're, they're very creative. So anyway, if you think of a question not in class, whenever, you can submit it here. And what I will typically do is rather than just email you the answer, I will post the answer here on our site, and I will send you the link. And what that means is everybody, potentially, gets to benefit from the answer. You could do this for your students in your class, right? Because all of us have questions that are going to come up, students are going to ask, and sometimes it's good to give a detailed answer. And so some of these answers have um, screencasts that go with them. Some of them have, you know, a screenshot showing you, you know, okay, here's, here's how we're going to click, you know, to do this, that kind of thing. All right. So let's talk about another resource. How many of you have text messaging on your phone? All right. If you click on the resources link on our page and you look at number four, link number four is, if I can get this to come up, our TextMarks channel. All right, what does this mean? I'm using a free version of this site, TextMarks, to have a group so that I can send you alerts as they're needed. I promise not to share your cell phone number with anybody else or spam you ridiculously. This is basically a chance for me to say, Hey, I had a wreck this morning, and we're not having class. Hopefully, I won't have to do that. Or more likely, don't forget the quiz is due by Friday at midnight or something like that. So it's totally optional. You do not have to use this. Sur uh, surveys and studies show 
how how uh, soon do you think most people read a text message when they get it? Like within 30 seconds. Okay, like over 90% of people within 30 seconds. I get a lot of email. I get a lot of you know information in different ways. I don't give my cell phone number out to the world, but in some cases when something's really important to me, I like to be able to get those kinds of alerts. Now, I will warn you that this might not for this particular site might not be one you'll want to use with K-12 students, with kids in elementary, middle or high school. Um, we'll see, I, and give me feedback to let me know about the ads. The first semester I used this, it had little ads on it like, meet singles in your area. <laughs> I thought, well, that's just great. I don't think that's really the kind of link I want, you know, giving to my students. So I had actually paid a little bit to take those ads off. Then they created this light version where you could make one channel and for free. So, how do I do this? You're going to put, there I go again, trying to push the screen. Does it work? Um, put your phone number, your cell phone number in here, accept the terms of service, and click subscribe. I think you probably have to reply to it to confirm, and then you're in. All right? There, there are different ways to set this up. I have, I think, set it up this semester as a broadcast only, where I'm like able to send out to you. However, um, we could experiment. You, you can set these up as group text messaging things. Like my wife coordinates the nurseries at our church here in Edmond, and I've talked to her about maybe setting this up because, of course, all our nursery workers are on Facebook. All of them have cell phones with text messaging. And sometimes a nursery comes up and they got to get one. She's got 15 people that work for her. And, I, you know, it's possible to have that set up where not only the owner gets the broadcast out, but the people who are in the group can also reply and everybody sees the messages. So currently I think it's just set up where I, where I can send them. But I can send them from my phone or I can go to the website to, bro to uh, broadcast. I think I probably sent out 15 messages all, all of last semester total. Yes? So I know I was able to register when I texted it to there, but right. when I tried to subscribe, it just said I already had an account, which I don't, so I have no idea. Really? Yeah. Huh. And you, and you put your... Uh, I was able to text and subscribe, and it was fine. Really? Yeah. All right. And when you texted to subscribe, what did, what did you do? Okay, and that one worked. Huh. Was anybody able to subscribe using the yeah. button in there? You know what I think it is? I think it depends on your cell phone provider. Because sometimes, if AT&T versus Verizon versus uh, Cricket, whatever, I, I, that's my theory. Because last semester I had a couple students who, no matter what they did, couldn't get messages, but they were on... Um, they were on a different provider. And so hopefully it'll work. I'll keep you in the loop in some other ways too, but that's just an option. Okay. Um, any other any questions that you do want to ask right now, syllabus-wise? Anybody want to throw something out? It's hard for me to choose what these projects are because there's so many great possibilities for what we can do. Um, what I hope is that the things we're going to be doing um, are, number one, going to be fun. Number two, they're going to be hands-on. And number three, they're going to be very relevant for you, whether you're elementary, middle, or high school uh, level. How many of you plan to teach elementary school by a, sh right a show of hands? Okay, so about half. How many middle school? Anybody? 
your elementary? Okay. Middle school? Yeah, middle school. Middle school? Okay. And anybody high school? Okay. So we've got, we do have a mix. Anybody college? College? College is actually pretty cool, but it's tough when you only see your students once a week. Last semester, we had a three-hour class that met twice a week, and I actually like that a lot. So, Okay. Well, let's take a look at a video. Um, can anybody tell me a problem with using YouTube in the classroom today in Oklahoma schools? Anybody have an idea what an issue might be? Okay. Okay. Filtering, having it blocked. In a lot of cases, it is blocked and filtered. What else? Like even on this video, anybody distracted by anything? Oh wow! Look at that. I didn't. Yeah, there's all these other videos over here. <laughs> other things. I'm going to use a free website right now called Quiet Tube, and this and there'll be some different things I'll mention that aren't like in the curriculum. Uh, Quiet Tube, I don't have as a link on here, and I can try and put that in. What it does is it strips out all the extraneous stuff, so this is what it looks like. Okay? So the way that I got this is I, on the Quiet Tube site, I bookmarked this link. This is a special link. In fact, when you right click it and you say add to favorites, it says, You're adding a favorite that may not be saved. Do you want to continue? Because it's a script. I've already done it, so I'm not going to do it here. So when I've added that favorite and I say quiet tube, it just strips out all the extraneous stuff. It takes out the related videos. It takes out the comments. It just gives me the video. Now, on our website for our class, we're, I'm going to be showing you examples of embedded videos. Okay, I'm going to show you some other videos today, and some of these are embedded here. Okay, this great video by Don McMillan. It's there without comments, without the stuff on the side. But this is a nice technique to use when you're sharing a video to be able to um, take out the distractions. Okay. We also can download these, and I'll teach you how to do that this semester as well. There's several ways you can download the, the video so that it's actually on your computer. Because if YouTube was blocked here, it wouldn't do me a lot of good to try to pull it up. Because it'd be blocked. All right. Has anybody seen this video? Did you know 4.0? Okay. One person? Each time we meet, I'm going to try and share what I'll call a video that we'll discuss a little bit, and I will also share an application. Um, many of which will be uh, usable on Android as well as um, iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad. This particular video, I think, is good because it has so many statistics and so many different examples of how the world is changing and technology is affecting us. All right? So, whenever you use video in the classroom, it's always a good idea to give your students a, a question, something to think about, and I'm going to give you two minutes to talk about it with your neighbor after we're done, okay? Here's your question. What are the changes that they mention here that really stick out in your mind, okay, that, that either surprise you or confirm what you already know? What are the most notable statistics that this video has? And I'm going to put my volume back here. Take a look.
2009. Wow, so that is over a year old. It is. Those statistics are a little old. I'm going to open up now a great site that I love called OnlineStopwatch.com. I love it because I don't have to have any special software installed. I can use this full screen. I can count up or count down. I want to give you two minutes, and it actually has a little bell. So I'd like you to introduce yourself to your neighbor if you have not already. If you need to move and shift your chair so you can talk to some person, get in a group of two or three, and I want you to visit about some standout facts from that video in the next two minutes. Go. Anybody want to share a thought they had or that their neighbor had? What stood out and why? The start of the computer and what it'll be in 10 years from now, like the size of the cell. I know. That Ray Kurzweil stuff about it's going to get microscopic, thinking about computers being building-sized. You know, my parents still have these punch cards from when they were in graduate school, and they had to get permission to come to the computer room, and they ran their cards. And, you know, now this is more powerful than the computer NASA had in 81 when the shuttle launched. This technology is going to be in everybody's phone in five years. I watched a bowl game this holiday on my phone. I watched the K-State bowl game. What's up with that? What's it going to be in 10 years? What else? Yeah, and YouTube, the, I'll, I'll get the updated statistic on YouTube because I saw it recently. That is over a year ago. Just 
the amount of video every day that's being put onto YouTube. How many of you have published something to YouTube at this point? Anybody done that? Okay. Um, isn't it crazy that I could record a 15-minute video in my house on my laptop, put it online for free, and that was part of my sub plan last week? That's crazy because it would have cost a lot of money to do that even just a few years ago. And with Google providing unlimited free storage and YouTube increased last year from 10 minutes to 15 minutes, there's obviously other places to store video. It's a real different day as far as media and influences and you know the way in which we get information. I think that we have a greater responsibility in some ways today than past generations. How many of you have had somebody forward you an email that was like ridiculously not true? It was maybe the Nigerian, you know, come bail me out of, you know, my financial problem. Or it was, if you send this message to 10 people, Bill Gates will give you a new car. You know, Snopes.com is a really good website for checking to see is this real. You know, sometimes the emails are real. But we're not just information consumers today. We're also producers and sharers. And there's a responsibility, I think, that goes with sharing that. You know, how many of you have seen the messages of Obama is a Muslim? You know, I mean, there's like guys in my men's group, I think, that totally believe that. Um, I disagree with many of the things that he's done. Uh, wish he would actually have a different educational policy than George Bush and No Child Left Behind. He doesn't. But, you know, based on my research and my study, I don't think the guy's a Muslim. Yet there's people, you know, forwarding those kind of messages all the time. What do you believe? Do you believe it because it's on the Internet? Do you believe it because it's in print? What's that? I said only if it takes or if it looks professional, right? Oh, that was a professional-looking video, so that had to be the truth. Well, no. Anybody else have something that stood out for them? The TV in the bathroom. Yeah, does anybody have a television, either in your bathroom or your parents' bathroom? or You know somebody who does? Yeah, I mean, I actually do look at my phone sometimes when I'm in the bathroom. Um, does anybody here read a paper newspaper? Okay, sometimes. I mean, I do sometimes too, but more often than not now, I'm getting my content digitally. So major shifts, major changes. You and I are, are, I believe, living in the most exciting day for learning. There's a lot of challenges like we've had for a long time. There's a lot of issues, but what an exciting day for learning. What an exciting day to be a teacher. What an exciting time to be able to empower people, to learn for themselves. Right? Think about Abe Lincoln and the myth of him, or the sort of legend of him learning. Remember what that was? Where, how did Abe Lincoln, you know, learn his law stuff before he became an Illinois senator and the president? You remember that myth? It was in the log cabin by candlelight. You know, he was working hard just by himself. You know, well, if you're by yourself today, but you're connected to the internet, what can you learn today? All kinds of things. And you can learn some pretty destructive things and some pretty hurtful things as well as some really good things about choices. So that's our video. I'm going to try to share one of those each time we meet, and we'll have a, a sharing time. And um, anyway, that's, I like to do that. There's so many different uh, video possibilities that it's kind of hard to choose. Um, so 
Please make sure that you do check in, though, sometime today on our poll, um, because that's how I take attendance and part of your grade in the class is attendance and participation. Um, the other thing I want to share just quickly is Evernote. How many of you have had the experience of taking a note on a piece of paper and then not finding the paper again? This happens to me frequently. Okay. How many, does anybody use Evernote now? This is the number one best application that I've ever used on my mobile phone. And it also works on the Internet. And it works on your desktop computer. And it's free. <laughs> so this is very powerful and very cool. How does it work? Well, it works by having a server that you connect with. And I'm going to sign in and do something very dangerous. Why is it dangerous for me to put my password in on a screen that everybody can see? Yeah, because somebody, I could mess up. This particular website is going to conceal my password. It's very easy to be in the wrong spot when you type that password. So the best thing to do is to actually sign in before. And sometimes you don't remember your password. Anybody have that happen? Try that. It's a better idea to sign in before uh, so that you don't have to sort of risk that. At my son's school, he goes to class in SAS downtown in Oklahoma City. He's in seventh grade, my oldest. <clears throat> there have been students in his school who've actually installed hidden cameras behind the teacher's computer and then zoomed in to see the teacher's keystrokes as she typed her password so that they could gain access to the student information system and the student grade. Okay? That's pretty extreme, but um, you don't want to leave your password on a sticky note underneath your keyboard, you know, uh, on your computer. You really don't want to use a super easy password like password, <laughs> or one, two, three, four. Um, you know, there's different things. All right, these are all notes that I have created in the past. I like fried chicken, and so one of the things I do sometimes is ask people about their favorite fried chicken restaurants. I will not remember these, but if I put them into Evernote, Evernote will remember. So there's a place in Memphis called Gus's World Famous Fried Chicken. Anybody eaten there? I haven't either. Okay, but the next time I go to Memphis, I'm going to try to eat there. Um, the, these are the, there's all kinds of examples here. Um, I've got meeting notes. I've got stuff about my dissertation. Um, I've got you know, stuff for trips. What's so cool is I not only can access this, as I'm doing now, through a web browser, I can access this on my mobile device. So if you have an Android phone or an iPhone, or if you um, want to download this to your computer as well, when you go to Downloads, they have an actual, bless you, they have an actual downloadable version that you can use and put on your computer. Okay, So I could download Evernote for Windows. It's an app that's then in my start menu. And when I'm connected to the computer, it synchronizes. This is an example of something called cloud computing. And go to, go to Wikipedia right now and, and type in cloud computing. I'm just going to go to Google. I'm going to put, actually, if I put in cloud computing, it's likely Wikipedia is now it didn't come up first. I'll do cloud computing 
Wikipedia, and it'll come up first. No, it didn't. Microsoft did. Wow. Microsoft.com slash cloud is first. What does this mean? Well, this picture kind of shows what it means. We now have all these different servers that are just computers on all the time, or we hope they're on all the time. My blog was down this morning for emergency maintenance. I don't even know where on the planet my blog is. It may be in Europe. I don't even know if it's in the United States. But Google has sites, Yahoo has sites, Microsoft does, Amazon, all these different companies. They create the cloud by connecting their servers together. We are out here on the sides. Okay? These are the clients that connect. Um, who thinks they have the most number of devices that they own right now that connect to the Internet? This could be a, a handheld game system. Anybody... Anybody have three devices that connect to the internet? Like on or? No, no, not like, well, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, show me your weapons. Get out what you got. <laughs> no, but I mean like that you own. Um, like we've got our Wii connects uh, at home. So, so, so think about it and count. Count phones, count a game system. I count all computers, okay, different computers. Count um, if you've got something that plays like Netflix or Hulu or something, like a Roku box. Is that $60 box that plays Netflix? And, or if you've got a, um, a DVD player now, Blu-ray players will sometimes you know, play Netflix. So count, count devices. Who thinks they have the most, the most uh, devices? Seven? Anybody beat seven? Nine? Somebody still counting? Nine's a lot. Eight. Tell, tell what are what are some of them? Yep. Which connects to the internet too. Do you count all your iPhones? Yeah, all your devices. So somebody's ten. This is exploding. Right, the number of devices that, that connect to the Internet are exploding. And all of these different devices are clients that, in many cases, will access the cloud and will access data on the cloud. How many of you have watched a movie that's streamed off the Internet? Anybody seen a Netflix that's streamed off? Or is there anything besides Netflix you've used? Anybody use Hulu? Hulu? Do you like Hulu? I haven't tried it before. It makes you watch the ads, though, doesn't it? They're like 30 seconds. But they're short. Have you used something else besides Hulu? It was like it was a UK site, like a TV streamer. Okay. Site. My son's really good at Googling sites to watch his sci-fi movies. He and my wife watch these, so I don't know where where they all are. So this is the cloud, and this is what's by the cloud. So Evernote's an example of this. It's free. Um, it's awesome, and all of us probably have to write stuff down. Okay, so think about that. You don't have to use Evernote. All the stuff I'm going to share with apps is basically bonus information. It's not required stuff that you have to. That you have to do. How, does anybody know how to get to history here? Why is it good as a parent to know about history or a teacher? Ah, where have you been? So in this web browser, do you know how to get to the history? By the arrows drop. Okay. The arrow here? Yeah. Okay, that'll show for that page. There's the history of where I've been. Okay. 
could be under tools. This is what we need to do, right? Explore around and kind of see. Like, that, yeah, that's arrow. It's the top arrow that goes down. Ta-da! Thank you. This is a good example of how, like, I know of quite a bit about technology, but there's a bunch of stuff that I don't know, and there's stuff that I forget. Be willing to ask your class for help, okay? Be willing to let them know you don't know everything. This is important. Some teachers do not do this. And if you try and be the only, you know, you are not the smartest person in the room, and I am not either. We're always smarter together, smarter together than we are alone. So there's history. I can see where I've been today, where we went Tuesday, where we went last week. Very important thing you need to do today when you're done with your computer. And that is you need to delete the history. Why is that a good habit to get into being in our computer lab? Yep. So let's do it right now together. Go to tools. And underneath tools, you will see delete browsing history. So again, I'll repeat that. Go to tools, top choice, delete browsing history. Now, this is true for this version of Internet Explorer that we're using. I have asked for different web browsers. I use Safari, Chrome, and Firefox. I like Chrome the best. It's the fastest. Anybody know why they will not install another browser in this lab? I'll give you a hint in the middle of the room. They're not sure how to lock it down to limit printing because they don't want people to print web pages, which actually is a bad thing. If you have people just printing web pages, that's a good way to waste paper. Okay? Right. Well, that's what they want you to do. Right. They want you to copy and paste because you will use less paper usually if you copy and paste than if you just say print because a lot of web pages will use a lot of that. All right. So click that delete all and you, you don't have to do it at this moment if you don't want to. But I strongly recommend that you do this at the end of every class. I will do it on my computer after every uh, class, after the second class ends. And the reason is when I log into Google, when I go to another website like the blog, anything I log into and it saves, a lot of those sites people could sit down right away and get into my stuff if I don't delete the browser history. Okay? Um, do you think your students know how to do this or will know how to do this? Yeah. yeah, they probably will. So it's not a complete solution. There's nothing that's a complete solution as far as Internet safety and helping students understand that we're responsible for our actions online, just like we are responsible face-to-face, -face, all those kind of things. Um, you know, we've got to be checking. We've got to be talking to them. We've got to be doing things more than just... relying on the web history, okay? And I just use that to browse back to our page. Um, okay, let's talk about Pecha Kucha presentations. Has anybody ever heard of a Pecha Kucha? Who has done a PowerPoint before for a class? Who has been bored before watching the presentations of classmates? Okay, a lot of times we see examples of PowerPoint abuse. And I'm going to show you a little excerpt. Actually, we may, we may go ahead and see the whole thing. Of this video by Don McMillan. I will um, warn you, there is one word of profanity in here. I think he says H-E double hockey sticks. Okay, so prepare yourself for that. Um, but this is a pretty good summary of PowerPoint abuse. It's called Life 
after death by PowerPoint. Now, a couple options that I have here. I could click play and pause, and you'll notice this video starts to buffer. Why is that a good thing to do? It doesn't skip. It doesn't, you know, pause and hiccup. As you can see already, it has paused a little bit in its playback. Another thing I can do with the YouTube video is I could click the video itself and it would open in a new window. And that's nice. It's actually been sized in such a way here that it's not showing all the related videos. Uh, anybody ever seen an objectionable comment on a YouTube video before? Oh, yeah. They're all kinds, right? Whenever you publish to YouTube, I recommend you turn on the comment moderation. That means you get to approve the videos. Um, I will just go up to my favorites and hit quiet tube, and then I'm going to get my nice, clean version of this video. I also have this button in the corner, which is the full screen button, which is... Here, by the way, there's the uh, simple but effective region there. 
there's the active with confusion, the effective and boring, the active and ineffective, the dull but static region, the busy but useless, the ADD only region, the useful but amusing, the stupid but confusing, the dull triangle, the hyper triangle, the sleepy square, the dizzying pentagon, and everything else I just call pointless motion. That slide right there took me an hour and a half to make right there. PowerPoint can just suck the life out of you. It's amazing. I've also come up with this. It's a kind of a little science I've invented called font analysis. Basically, the font you choose says something about who you are as a person. There's a huge list of fonts, and you choose one, and that says something about you. So be careful the font you choose. For example, if you choose Courier New, uh, this happens to be my favorite, uh, you're probably organized and structured. If you choose Matisse, it means you're artistic. And if you choose Times New Roman, it means you're lazy, apathetic, and unimaginative, and you always use the default. <laughs> A lot of times New Roman people. Welcome. We have some more. Uh, if you use freehand script, uh, you're a horrible speller, so you try to hide it with a hard-to-read font. Very smart. If you use Gothic, it means you're very pale and you wear black. And if you choose Wingding, it means you're a nerd and you have no life. In fact, if you know what those symbols mean, you will never have a date. Trust me. Don't bother all right, so I like that a lot. Uh, humor is great. You know, any after-dinner speaker, any politician, many preachers will use stories to communicate, and many of them will also use humor because they know that helps stuff stick in the brain. I'm more likely to remember a story or something funny than, you know, something dry that doesn't have a context. So this is a big problem. New York Times article last April, I think, April 26, 2010. This is an actual slide that was presented to Stanley McChrystal, leader of NATO forces in Afghanistan for the United States, explaining our strategy of engagement in Afghanistan. This is a problem. Okay? This is not just a problem with PowerPoint. It's a problem with geopolitical strategy. But it is something that is not limited to marketing slides that business people do. This is something that happens in schools, too. I am a big fan of Gar Reynolds. Gar Reynolds is a guy who wrote a book called Presentation Zen. This is a post he put up last summer. I love this, okay? Anybody a Star Wars fan? Anybody like Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope, first one? We watched. We had a little Star Wars marathon in our, at our house over Christmas. Okay? Look how General Adana is using the visual power of the screen. If he was in a PowerPoint age, this might be what he did, you know? The bullet points. The battle station is heavily shielded. And of course, he'd remind everyone with text, may the force be with you. That'd be highly effective. No, it wouldn't be highly effective. You will not have to purchase any textbooks for this course. I decided not to because I've had a lot of guilt the last two semesters I've taught. And, I've bet, and students have been required to have a textbook because it's been hard for me to justify the cost. There's so many good resources available free online. Um, it's not to say all textbooks are not worth it. They, you know, Some of them are, but in this course, you will not have to buy one. However, I'm going to mention different resources. This is an awesome book. You could check it out from the library or uh, read it on your Kindle, I think, for $10, or you could buy a paper version. It's called Presentation Zen. It's by Gar Reynolds. What does this book say? It says... PowerPoint is a visual media. It is not a document media. 
we need to stop treating PowerPoint like it was Word when we do presentations. So, I'm going to now share a Pecha Kucha assignment or uh, example with you. And this is the assignment that you're going to have. This is your first grade, and we're going to be sharing these in class. This is also called a 20 by 20 presentation. Okay? Because a Pecha Kucha... is a 20-slide presentation that you have 20 seconds per slide. And it started in Japan. It was actually a way for folks to share presentations quickly at nightclubs. Okay? And so they're also called 20 by 20 talks. There are other formats called lightning talks and ignite talks. I want to say ignite talks are 15 slides, 15 seconds apiece. Um, but, you know, the point is you're done in a fixed amount of time because you don't even control... The slides, you set PowerPoint to automatically advance to the next slide. If you want, you could see uh, an example of one from uh, last spring, a year ago. I did this one uh, called What I Hope You Learn in This Class. And that will kind of give you an overview of some of the things that, that you could um, learn in this class. I also recorded my voice and synchronized it to this. So if I hit play. The other thing you know how to do is to hyperlink, to connect. You can actually play that slideshow. This is a, a website that's free to use that is called SlideShare, and it's just a place where I put an example. You're not going to be required to post your presentation there, but it's good to know that slideshows can be shared uh, in those kinds of places. Um, there's a whole website called pechacucha.org. And I cannot vouch for the appropriateness of all these videos. I didn't create these, and I haven't seen all of these. But there's 182 different examples of presentations that people have done. And you can click on these and not only hear the, or see the audio, or see the uh, images, but they've also recorded the audio, and you can see that they're, they're synchronized. Okay? So, um, I want you to begin thinking about your topic for your Pecha Kucha, what you would like to do. Um, I want you to use 20 different images, and I'm going to talk to you today about some good websites to use to find those images. You are going to build this in PowerPoint, <coughs> or you could use Keynote if you want to, but actually it's kind of a hassle to hook up a laptop. Um, I love my Mac, but it's easier to just do it um, on this computer. So if you do it in Keynote, it'll save as a PowerPoint, and this computer has, has PowerPoint, so that's probably the best thing. I have saved my file today on a USB flash drive. How many of you have one of these? Thumb drive, okay? Great thing to have for this class. Save your files, bring them um, to class. We'll talk about other ways that you can bring stuff to class. You can survive this class and get an A-plus without a flash drive. But I think it's a handy thing to have, and they're less expensive than they have been. So consider that. Uh, I want you to include a final credit slide that lists the websites that where you get your got your images. Okay, so let me show you an example, and I'm going to actually do this one, and then we'll talk about places to get images, and we're going to um, practice this process. This is a presentation that I actually shared at a, a little conference in Oklahoma City back in November, and. When you are in the new PowerPoint, these are, I guess, called ribbons. They've kind of changed things a little bit. Under the View menu, there's other, you know, other ways that you can see your slides. I like the slide sorter view here because I can see all my slides at once. 
Does anybody know how to select all of these and make a change to all of them at once? Okay, the shift key, right? If I hold down the shift key and I can uh, scroll down and click at the end, I can select them all. Anybody know another way to do that? Um, with the control key. Control A. Control A will select everything, just a keyboard shortcut. And when I go to my menu, um, this is the thing that I don't like about PowerPoint is that, like, where's the edit menu? It's gone. Um, usually it would show my keyboard shortcuts. Does anybody know how to turn that menu back on up here? I don't know how to do that. So anyway, shift works, control A works. The point is, I want to make a change to all of these slides at once, and I'm going to, under animations, make it advance. Instead of a mouse click, what do we say we get for Pecha Kuchas? 20 seconds. So I'm going to come in here and change this to be 20 seconds, and when I hit enter, watch what happens. All of them now have a time. So when I start this presentation, it is going to run on its own for 6 minutes and 40 seconds, and then it's going to be finished. Okay? Yes? Um, I just have a quick question. Are we going to be, like, standing up there talking whenever it's two to 20 seconds, or do we record on two? You will stand up. I'm going to do one just like I want you to do, too. So this is an in-class uh, presentation, and it will take us about 40 minutes or so of class that uh, when, once we start the presentations, because each time we'll, we'll have five people going, probably. So this is an in-class presentation. But I've, there's multiple reasons for doing this assignment. One of the most important is to learn other places to get pictures and how to get pictures into your computer um, to, to have in PowerPoint. But this is also, I think, a very good strategy and an assignment with students because we need to help students understand presentations in concepts, okay? There's just too much PowerPoint abuse out there. It is insulting for me to read you a slide on the screen. You can read it yourself silently much faster than I can read it to you aloud. So instead of reading you text, I'm going to show you images that give you an idea of what I'm talking about, and I'm going to rehearse and practice my presentation in advance. You're welcome to use note cards. You're welcome to use you know, other things that will, will assist you. I don't want you to come up here with your note cards and say, in 2006, China, you know, just read, read it out. I want you to do it as a presentation. I want you to practice eye contact. I want you to practice this idea that my slides aren't the crutch that I you know, lean on. They're a tool to help me communicate better. And I'm going to be, you know, communicating in multiple ways. But nobody tells your eye where to start with a picture. Your brain has thousands more neural connections between your eye and your brain than your ear and your brain. Something like three to 4,000 neurons ear to brain. And it's like thirty to 40,000 eye to brain. Okay? That's why visual imagery is so powerful. Okay. So any other questions before I start and do this demo? Anybody know how to start a PowerPoint um, with the keyboard? Yep, that's it. There's a keyboard shortcut. You can, uh, and I think that one is shown here. Under the view menu, um, no, under the slideshow menu. I could, I could start it here, but F5 is, is all I need. So, Okay, well, here we go. Oh, gosh, I almost forgot. I want you to evaluate me. 
and you're going to evaluate each other too. You will not be getting a grade based upon what your peers say or do, um, but you are going to get the feedback. And so what I'd like you to do right now is get to our Pecha Kucha page. If you go to our T4T site page and you click on Pecha Kucha presentations, link number five right here says use this online peer evaluation form. I have created a form on Google's forms. You can select my name. The title of my presentation is Oklahoma isn't China. Or, you, or balance filtering, or you can put whatever you want. Um, and then I'd like you to put your uh, name, and then as I go through here, evaluate. This is your rubric, okay? This is how I'm going to evaluate your presentation. It's a best practice to use a rubric with students to let them know the expectation, okay? Are the images full screen and high quality images that complement the topic? Rate that one to five. And, um, <laughs> if you, I'll, I'll also say this. If you'd like to be anonymous today, feel free to do that. And if you want to give me some more pointed feedback. Um, the people will, the people who present are not going to see names. Obviously, I'm going to see names, so feel free today to put anonymous. You've got to put something in the box by name, but feel free not to do that if you would prefer to provide me with anonymous feedback. Because I realize this is our first day of class together, and you may not, you know, feel like telling me that actually that was really poor and my name is so you know I'm not going to give you bad grades based upon you know your disagreement with me or whatever so anyway feel free to make that anonymous today but in in the um, upcoming weeks as we evaluate each other I'm going to want you to put your name in um, but I will strip out or delete that information when I send the feedback to the person who presented so they will not know who said what but I, I want to see that you've submitted this. So you're going to do that pacing and fluency, maintaining attention, was it in the Pecha Kucha format, and then technical feedback. Um, there's technical and content, okay? So think about the technical side, think about the content side, any ways to improve, and new learning, okay? There's really four boxes for you to fill out. And this is what we'll do each time we have a presentation, all right? <clears throat> okay, here we go. Let me also say before I start, I am at this point in my life a professional presenter. Okay, The way that I feed my family and put food on our table is I, I do presentations um, in different places. So please do not be intimidated by, I mean, I hope I do an okay job. Don't be scared and think, oh my gosh, I've got to drop this class because there's no way I can do that. All of us get better by practicing, okay? And you're going to do great. And um, this always happens whenever we have projects because somebody will go first and then everybody will say, goodness gracious, that was too good, I'm going to quit. So not to say that you'll say that about me. In 2007, I had the first chance of my life to go to China. And I went back last year in September again. This is the Pearl Tower. This is the Apple Store. It had just opened a few weeks before I was there. The iPad actually was announced in China I want to say the week before we got there, and people stood in line uh, day or days, you know, in order to get there. And when you think of China, you might not think of Apple. You might think of Great Wall, right? It's actually a myth I've read that this is the only human-made object visible from space. I, I was reading uh, a NASA article, uh, or maybe it was on Wikipedia, you know, myths, but. 
Um, China is not just famous, though, for its Great Wall of China that's physical. It's also famous for having uh, the Great Firewall of China. And when I came back from China the first time in 2007, I compared the blocking of websites in Norman public schools to what I experienced in Shanghai. And guess what I found? More sites blocked in Norman schools than were blocked in China, which we think of as a communist country, as an authoritarian country, a non-democratic country. This is a very common sight to see in schools today. And that's what I'd like to talk about today is this idea of balanced content filtering. Now, don't hear my message to be one of we've got to open the entire Internet and not block anything. Yeah, law requires that in schools we block, object, we block pornography and we have a policy to, to take care of that. But here's a website, Celebrate Oklahoma Voices, where we have over 800 videos. And unless it's changed... Kids in my students' elementary school here in Edmond can't access it because they do not have a balanced policy. They have a lot of websites in our district and others that are blocked simply because they're interactive. And so I think this is a lab balance. And what I'm espousing here is a balance to content filtering. Rather than saying, let's block everything, let's take a balanced approach. This is my fear slide, and we've got a lot of fear today. A lot of people are scared. Remember when MySpace was the rage back in 2006 and all the Dateline specials, Internet predators, and all that stuff? We still have a lot of fear, and predators are around. However, it is not true that as soon as I go on the Internet and I enter a chat room, a predator comes and kidnaps, my, kidnaps me or my child. This is a project I started a few years ago called Unmasking the Digital Truth. And there are different legal requirements like SEPA and FERPA and COPA that our schools have to comply with to protect children. It is a myth that these laws require us to block all blogs, all wikis, all video sharing sites. Yet, that is what is happening in a lot of our schools, and it is absolutely horrible. I do not know the number of schools blocking YouTube in Oklahoma today, but we have over 500 districts, and a lot of those do not allow even teachers to have access. This is Dana Boyd, and she finished her dissertation at UC Berkeley a couple years ago, and she looked at social media and the ways that kids are using it, and she concluded that the kids who are at risk face-to-face -face are most at risk online. And this is also a conclusion that comes out of cyberbullying.org, which is uh, Nancy Willard's website. We've got to help kids know that you don't go meet someone who's a stranger that you've met online. And what's the most dangerous three-letter word to talk about online with a stranger? It starts with an S. Sex. Because predators do not typically hide their intentions. They talk about sex. And kids who go meet people that they have met online face-to-face, -face, um, that it's a predator situation, have talked about sex and know that's what they're going to talk to that person about. So this is the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. Um, we need to be talking about digital literacy skills, not just in our technology classes at college, but in our regular classrooms. Um, there's a web, this is a website that I set up called balancedfiltering.org, and I've posted a variety of different resources here that compare um, what's happening with Internet filtering. This is how public schools that's in southeast Oklahoma. Anybody know where Howe is, been to Howe? One of the most innovative schools in our, in our uh, state right now, and they have an entire website where it is like a Facebook for the school, except teachers and students are sharing work, um, they are collaborating, 
They're doing all kinds of things. This is a cluster map of my blog in October of last year showing locations of computers that were accessing my blog. And I would not... I would not be the person I am today without the ability to learn from and learn with people that are all over the world. I hope to have built by March of this year, in the next month and a half, a grading system for filters in schools. And just like you see an F here for El Pollo, Pollo Loco, which I'm not actually saying that's bad. I haven't ever eaten at that restaurant. This system is going to give, um, allow people in their school to click a link and get a grade on how balanced their content filter is. This is a map showing the 20 Oklahoma schools that are doing a one-to-one -one laptop initiative this year. Okay, We had several million dollars in federal grant money that was given out. Closest one to us is Crescent, Oklahoma right here, and then uh, Longfellow Middle School that's in Norman. How many of you know someone in a laptop school where all the kids at a certain grade level and the teachers have a laptop? Okay? They're pretty rare. They need to be common. It is fiscally irresponsible today for schools to spend $70, $80, $100 on a textbook that won't be replaced for five to seven years, and the material in it might be you know, uh, out of date as soon as it's published. We need to be working on projects, just like these students in Boston were working with Marco Torres, creating videos, making stuff, creating things. Uh, we learn the most when we do stuff. We learn some when we listen, but we learn the most when we do. And one of the important pieces, these are my three kids, to that whole process is opening up our filters, not to the whole world, okay, not to everything, but definitely opening up the school content filters so that we can access more content and we can make good decisions. We can become good digital citizens and be responsible with our Internet use. Thank you. All right. Go ahead and take a couple minutes to fill out your evaluation. Again, feel free to be anonymous. Um, actually, and I want to model the same kind of thing we're going to do here. Um, after, I, because of time, we're not going to give, we won't take, you know, 10 minutes after each presentation. But anybody have a comment or a question or something that you would like to say on this topic? Or? How do you go to, I know my dad's done it before, I just don't know how to get there. Is that uh, site where you see how many people are looking at your? That site is called Cluster Maps. And uh, the Cluster Map, I don't think it has an ER in it. I'll show you. I'm, I'm going to put a little list on our site of like miscellaneous resources, and that's where I'll put Quiet Tube and the online stopwatch, and I'll add cluster maps too. Um, I'm going to go to Google, and this is it cluster maps. So on your website, that you, if you create one, for free, you can put this kind of a map. And this is a great thing to do on a classroom blog because that is going to help your students recognize the global footprint which they you know, can have and hopefully your, your classroom site does have. I think my website's still having trouble, so we can't bring up the live version. But you'll see these on a lot of classroom blogs. And in this semester, I'll be um, having you uh, sort of adopt a classroom blog out there in the world that a teacher said I would like comments on. And um, many of those you'll probably see have a cluster map. Another question or comment?
Um, People always have more thoughts (laughs) than they express verbally, out loud. That's one of the great things about blending your instruction and providing ways for people to, you know, type things as well as say things out loud. So feel free to put, you know, any kind of comments and feedback into your form and go ahead and submit that. And what I will do each class that we have a presentation is I am going to... uh, clear out the form. I'll, I'll copy the data and I'll send it to the, the person who presents. And then I will put the names of the people who will be presenting that day right here. So you'll be able to select their name from the drop down and then fill in the rest of this. So it can be over anything? Okay, yes. And I'm glad you asked that question. Basically, I mean, like if you wanted, and I don't think anybody would, why the Martin Luther King holiday is ridiculous and white supremacists are right and the martinlutherking.org site is really what we should be teaching in schools. If you were going to be like way out on the fringe with something, please talk to me, okay? But also feel free to take a topic that may challenge us a little bit, okay? If you want to talk about sex ed in schools and why it's important and, you know, rates of STDs and teen pregnancy and how we got our head in the sand, go for that. Um, I would like for you to talk about something one, you're knowledgeable about, and maybe you're passionate about, too. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, some people have, have told about a trip that they took. Okay? We, I had some students last semester who had uh, taken a study tour to Germany, and they you know, showed pictures of their trip and things that they had learned about their trip. So just uh, you know, email me or visit with me if you've got a question about your topic. It's, it's really open. In this case, it's... I'm more focusing on the format of the presentation than I am the topic. Um, But we're going to learn a lot of stuff. One of the things I've changed this semester, last spring we did this at the end. I'm moving it to the beginning because we're going to learn all kinds of stuff about each other as a result of these presentations, uh, which is a good thing. So, um, you know, if there's a summer camp that you go to that you just love, um, if you, we just lost one of our golden retrievers over the holidays and just learned about Sooner Golden Retriever Rescue in Norman. And we, they have 35 goldens right now, actually, from six months old to 10 or maybe 12 that are available for um, adoption. Maybe pet adoption is your big thing and you're passionate about that. You know, share that with us and, and think about a presentation um, that goes with that. If you want to use, you know, kill two birds with one stone, you know you've got a presentation coming up in another class this semester, okay? It's for your social studies class, and you've got to talk about the Civil War, you know? (laughs) You could share a presentation about the Civil War. Just make sure you do it in this format, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about next is getting the pictures. Absolutely. No, no. Absolutely. You, if it, even better if it's something that you will be able to use later too, right? Because you can create materials that then, you know, you could use later. So definitely, you know, we'll, we can do that. Let's pretend like we're all kindergartners now, okay? We'll do that. Yeah. Any other questions about the assignment? Okay. What I would like for you to do now is at the top of this Pecha Kucha, and if you're off the page and, and didn't open it in a, in a new tab, you can get back to our schedule page and click on the Pecha Kucha presentation page. At the top of this page is a link that says 9 a.m., and it says, please sign up for a Pecha Kucha date. All right? 
I have made this Google spreadsheet open for anybody to edit. And we are going to be having five slots per day. And I see some of you have already put your names down. Um, starting on February 2nd, which I'm sure will just be the most popular date everybody will want. If you will go ahead and please do not delete someone else's name, <laughs> but put your name next to the a date slot that you would like. Did someone delete you? Hopefully not. Yeah, one of, one of the things that is hazardous about using a Google spreadsheet in this way is that... Um, you know, there's not tracking. I, I, we, we have a way to see the history of this document. So far, this has been revised, you know, all these times. And I could go back to any of these, but because I didn't require anybody to log in, I'm not able to tell who, who edited or who did what. So um, if you have a problem and, you know, we're not able to get the, the, a date that's going to work for you, you know, visit with me, but hopefully we'll be able to get everybody signed up for a time. And those are going to begin in two weeks, okay? Next week, we are not going to be required to be here in class. The lab should be open and available, but um, there are going to be three other times this semester that I know of where I'm not going to be able to be here in person. So what I'm going to do is have an online assignment for you to complete at any time during the week. And that is usually going to consist of a video that you'll watch, a reflection that you will write on your blog, and um, there may be something else that you'll do, like comment on a student blog or something else. But it's going to... Um, it shouldn't take you any more than, you know, what we actually have in class time. I don't know, did anybody notice my little term, in this, my point in the syllabus here about time? It's like a little, little thing in here, but I didn't mention it in the video. This is the workload statement, okay? The standard is, you know, plan to spend two to three hours outside of class. I say that because if one of, my, uh, one of my assignments, one of our assignments, is taking you eight hours to do, six hours to do, it's time to stop and call me, okay? In fact, it's time to stop before you get to that point. So you do have uh, my phone number here. Um, that's actually a Skype out number that forwards to my phone. Um, so you can, you know, call me if, if, if you need, and especially if you've got to get a hold of me and I'm not being responsive in a reasonable time here with email. Um, Usually I will. Like today, your your post is going to be, what are some topics you're thinking about for your Pecha Kucha? Okay? And I'm going to ask you to provide feedback to, to some other students on posts that they've done. So for this week. So yes, usually we're going to have something to do on the blog. That's not going to be the case every single week, but that's usually going to be the case. All right? Yes? Um, on the presentation. Absolutely, and, I, and we're going to talk about that next. I call those homegrown pictures, and those are, you know, from a copyright standpoint, the safest ones to use because you own the pictures, and it doesn't mean you can do anything you, you want with those pictures if they've got people in them. But. Okay, we've got 22 minutes. What I'd like to do now is talk about 
places to find um, images and pictures. And if you scroll down here, what's, what's the number one place that you've used up to this point for getting pictures? Google Images. All right, let's talk a little bit about that. What is the problem with using uh, Google Images? Okay, they don't always have copyright info. You do not know who owns those pictures. What is another issue that comes up? Yes, they can surprise you, right? In fact, it would be rather irresponsible of me to do a Google search for an image right now that I had not tried out before because I could be searching for Coca-Cola and then we could have all kinds of, you know, photos that maybe she has a Coke in her hand, but, you know, that's not what you're paying attention to. So under the advanced image search, Google has this option of, of doing no filtering, moderate, and strict. Moderate is turned on by default. What do you think is the best choice for a classroom? Yeah, and you're probably going to have a content filter on your school site that's going to do that you know, filtering. However, you know, there are no guarantees. And one of the things that's happened in schools is we have tried to sort of lock things down and block things you know, so much that, bless you, you know, hoping that we're not going to have any problems. Well, you know, <laughs> kids are smart, and there's all kinds of ways to get around things. Now, Google, I want to say summer before last, added this. There is a way to search for images under advanced search where permission has already been granted for reuse, okay? And this is called Creative Commons. And, you know, if you're going to use a Google search for images, um, I would suggest strict content filtering, and you could do this. But I am actually going to ask you for this assignment not to use Google Images. And the reason is I want you to use some other sources that you might not have, have done before. All right? Here on our Pecha Kucha page, under copyright-friendly images, I've got a couple different links. And... Um, I'm going to go to this one called Copyright Friendly Images. There's several videos that are here, and um, I'm not going to take time to show all of these, but we'll, we'll watch a little bit of this one. This is called The Cost of Copyright Confusion. I'm going to open this in a new window. Make it full screen. Um, somebody tell me what what are the restrictions on using images in the classroom? Do we have any? Anybody have a, a idea about that? What have you been told before in your classes as far as image use? Anybody have any guidelines that they've been told? Well, anything. Is it different? Right, yeah, in practice and in the law. I mean, I'm kind of talking about legally. Like, what are what are things that we're able to do? And what kind of guidelines? Usually you can't use anyone else's copyrighted images or anything else. You have to use ones that are, like, was it free use or fair share or whatever. Okay, so you've been told don't use copyrighted images? Anybody been told anything else? How do you find out if it's free or? Yeah, that's, that's the question. Okay. 
Um, you actually can use other people's materials. They're copyrighted under certain conditions, and that's called fair use. And this video is going to address that because when we critique things, we transform things, we put our own opinion on things, we use a small amount of things, and we're not using it for a commercial purpose. I'm not taking Mickey Mouse over here and going to sell it for my PTA fundraiser. Okay? I'm making an academic project that I'm not selling and I'm using for an academic purpose. I have more rights in the United States to use those copyrighted materials without permission. Bless you. However, that is kind of a fuzzy gray area. Well, how much can I use? You know, how much of that song? Can I do the whole thing? Um, the, the safest thing to do, and what I'm going to encourage you to do the most of in your project, is what you said about homegrown pictures, right? If I took these pictures, can I use them? Yep, homegrown. There's usually not a problem with that if you get permission from, you know, Grandma. Hey, Grandma, I've got these pictures in the shoebox upstairs in the, in the attic. Can I, can I use these pictures? Yeah, can I share them on the Internet? Sure. Okay, you're, you're good to go. Um, the second thing is when we use a Creative Commons image. So let's take a look at this, uh, this video a little bit, and they're going to talk about some of these issues. I use media every day in my classroom. The third question is about um, how different people may understand the message differently. or magazines that students either read or they have read themselves. Um, they use information from YouTube, the internet, videos that either they enjoy or videos that students enjoy. I need to be able to use materials that I taped off air because the videos in the library are just not current enough. My students feel that's a, that it's important to use popular music and music videos in creating their art because it explains them, it explains the times now. They're basically giving definition or another point of view. To them, it's their identity, it's their friendships, it's their social sphere, it's their connection to culture. If I can't bring that in, then I can't help them analyze their place in culture and imagine where they might want to be in culture. friendlier to good teaching than many teachers now realize. Fair use is like a muscle that needs to be exercised, but people can't exercise it in a climate of fear and uncertainty. When we interviewed more than 60 media literacy educators, we found that many were concerned about their rights. Teachers get conflicting messages from their colleagues and their supervisors about copyright. It seems like the entire world is copyrighted. If you are a citizen, you need to be able to access these materials to comment on them. While I respect the rights of the copyright owner, the copyright holder, it seems like in the last few years that has really gotten out of control. 
everything we want to use, every little piece, no matter how short, seems like it's copyrighted and we can't use it. The line is not clear. And I recognize that because when we hosted our own film festival, there were so many questions surrounding the um, guidelines that we posted in the entry form. Oftentimes it was like, well, what if you just use a little of uh, one DMC thing, just 30 seconds of it. People would recognize exactly what it is, and it's perfect for what the kids wanted to convey in this particular scene, is it all right? And I mean, I didn't even know. Many students uh, want to incorporate popular culture into their media productions. They want to use popular music, they want to use advertising, they want to do commentary on film and television programs, and in most cases we found that many media teachers prohibit students from using copyrighted material in their own creative production. I really discourage my students from using popular music in the pieces they create in the classroom, in their own youth productions because I'm fearful about what's going to happen when they try to use it, submit it to festivals, take it outside of the classroom. We found that teachers are afraid to share instructional materials and lesson plans related to the use of mass media and popular culture. At the same time, like, the kids really want to be seen by as many people as they can. I'm just afraid that we might get in trouble. The collective judgment of every creative community informs the interpretation of fair use. Courts take notice of what creators regard as fair and reasonable. Documentary filmmakers got together and developed a consensus about what fair use means to them. They wrote the Documentary Filmmakers Statement of Best Practices and Fair Use. It changed what was possible for them. We can replace copyright confusion with a shared understanding of how copyright and fair use protect us as media literacy educators in building students' critical thinking and communication skills. All right, so that was Renee Hobbs, who is at Temple University, and they've got a uh, great center that's focused on uh, media education. There are other videos that I'm not going to have time to show you today, um, but this video about Creative Commons is a great one, uh, and I guess there's two of them. This one is about what copyright is, and this one's called Get Creative. Um, this one, if you see the trimmed version of it, we've got 10 minutes. Uh, this is worth seeing. You might run in that by me again. Hey, what the heck is there? Use. This might sound crazy, but they're, they're, um, limitations? On copy, right? <gasps> is it possible? Yes. Copy, right? Maybe broken, but it's slippery. <laughs> you can borrow. Copyright. Welcome to an electric 
To be believed, there has been a child security breach. It is my professional opinion that now is the time. But how will I know? If it's a fair use, there are certain rules that demonstrate fair use. Okay, first of all, it's the nature of the work. Second of all, it's the amount you borrowed. Oh, and there is one more thing. It has to be something that doesn't change the original works value in the marketplace. Pay attention, everyone. This is important. It's like I always say. Fair use is not right. It's actually hosted by the Stanford Law School. It uses clips from Disney movies, and it demonstrates this idea that, yeah, you can use portions of copyrighted materials without permission under certain conditions. So what are we going to do in this class? In this class, we are going to um, take a look at some other sites that we can use. And I have links to Flickr Creative Commons and to CompFight. And I am not going to print this out for you, and I'm certainly not going to require that you print it out. But if you want, I have a one-page handout that explains the steps. I'm going to show you right now how to save some images to your computer. And if you'd like to do this along with me, um, we, we will. And I'll show you how you can use some of these sites to find some um, Creative Commons images. Creative Commons images, this is a license that people who publish pictures put to give permission up front for other people like us to use it and not ask permission. In fact, we can even use it commercially if the license doesn't prohibit commercial use. Some of them do. But I am on the link now for Flickr Creative Commons, and I'm going to click this link for the attribution license. There are 23.9 million photos available now under the attribution license. And I am going to search for the word lightning. Because let's say I'm going to do a presentation. It's going to be about weather or it's going to be a story about tornadoes and storms. I don't have a lot of lightning pictures. I want to include some. So all of these pictures that are coming up in this particular search, notice that I didn't just go to the Flickr homepage, but I went to the Creative Commons page, and I searched. All of these are licensed under a Creative Commons image, or I mean a license. Anybody know how to save that picture? Right click. Okay, when in doubt. When you right click on Flickr, it is going to show you that there are multiple sizes. And in many cases, images are going to be published at large resolutions. Wow, this one is 2,514 pixels by 2,068. Oh, my gosh. Now, what do you think? Is that going to be more than we need? Yeah, probably for a PowerPoint. So you don't necessarily have to do that one. The large one, though, that's 1024 by 862, this standard screen is 1024 by 768. What would happen if I would try and use this thumbnail version of it? What's going to happen if I put that in my PowerPoint? Anybody know? Yeah, why is it going to look terrible? It doesn't have enough pixels. So if I, I just want to insert a new slide. Where's my insert new slide button? It's under home. 
Thank you. Okay, so how did I do that? I right-clicked the picture, and I said copy, and I paste. If I paste this in, and now let's stretch it. Let's make it big. Ooh, how does that look? Horrible, okay? Don't do that. Get larger versions of pictures, copy those versions, and instead of the small pixelated versions, you'll have images that look like this, okay? And then when you present, oops, then when you present, you will be able to leverage the power of the visual media, okay? And we won't see the pixels in your slides. Flickr Creative Commons is one place that you can go to search. And this handout that I showed you the link to takes you through those steps, okay? If you want to, you can um, print that out and use that. Um, there's another great resource that I have linked there called CompFight. And you'll note at the top of the CompFight window, you can choose to, and maybe this, is this one? Yeah. I think CompFight on this particular web browser doesn't work. We should be able to click here and turn Creative Commons on. So if I had another web browser, you can try this on a different computer. You can turn Creative Commons on here, and uh, you can do a search for, for images. Um, I just learned yesterday about a new one, and I'm going to add this to our page. I've just started a new website <clears throat> for a presentation I'll give at our National Computing Conference this year called Talk With Media. And I'll, I'll add this link to our handout. And I've got different uh, resources related to images here on this Talk With Media site. Last night, a, a fellow in Ohio uh, commented on my blog, told me about this site called Wileo. And similar to CompFight, if I put the word I want to search for, the keyword, it is going to find images. And in this case, I, um, I can go ahead and um, copy or save the picture. This is great for your blogs. In fact, um, what I will um, ask you to do for your assignment for this week is I would like for you to put down some ideas about your Pecha Kucha, okay? Just ideas that you have, and then comment on at least two of your classmates' posts, all right, of what they've done, and include a picture of some kind on your post. This particular website is one that you might consider using because it actually gives you code, if you would want, to use to put that picture uh, in there. All right, but like I said, I just learned about this one yesterday. I really think the best sites probably are Flickr Creative Commons and CompFight, but there are other image sources here that our Story Chasers group does. Joyce Valenza, a librarian in New Jersey, has a phenomenal website called Playing with Images. These are all different websites that you can use to access um, uh, Creative Commons and free images. Okay? Anybody have a question about your assignment for this week. Somebody repeat it for me. What are you supposed to do today for your assignment this week? Yes, I will go ahead and write that and put that down um, here under assignments. Um, put a post up on the blog about your, um, I'll, I'll write it down here. Your thoughts, what are your ideas for your Pecha Kucha? 
and comment on at least two others, and then try and use a picture in your blog post uh, this time. Uh, if you can include the link for where it comes from, that would be great, but that will be a good step forward in your hyperlinked writing and using the blog. Okay? Come chat with me if you had trouble accessing the blog, and we'll get you logged in real quick. Everybody have a great week, and remember next week we'll have an online assignment. The lab will be here uh, for you if you want to come at regular time, but you will not have to. And I will see everybody on February 2nd. Oh, don't forget to erase your cookies on your computer if you didn't delete your browser history. If you didn't log into anything, it's not that big a deal. Is the assignment? What's that? By a certain time next week. Yeah, just by next week. Yeah, just by Wednesday. Um, right, yeah, you'll have the week to complete it. Okay. Hello. Hi. I logged into the blog, but it would never like show up on the class. Okay, let's take a look at it and see what what's going on with it. Did you create your own blog? Mm -hmm. Okay, well that would probably be why, because you um, on our blog, if you uh, on our resources here, if you go to the 9 a.m. blog, mm -hmm. if you will go ahead and register for that blog, like down here it says register. Right, I did that. Okay. There. Well, okay. Did you get an invitation from me? On, oh, through our email? Right. Yes, and I forgot about that. Is that one? That's the one. If you go to that one, click that link. Because you need your account, but then you'll click the email you got from me, and then it lets you join this one. And do I have to create, like, new information, do you think? Or mm, it'll keep the profile and all that stuff with oh. your email. Okay. But, yeah, go to that thanks email. And then e email me if you have trouble with that and need it again, and I can resend it to you. Okay. Well, thanks. All right. You're welcome. I have a screen. I have okay. epilepsy. Okay. If I have a seizure, she's my best friend, so. She knows how to help? Yes. Okay. Don't call 911 because okay. by the time they get here, I'm out of my seizure. But okay. I'll be fine. Okay. So. Do you take. Okay. Yes. I'll read this and but help. Yeah. Can you figure out what we do? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you've got your friend here too to help. I have to my blog. I didn't log into it. Okay. So I don't did, know why. Did you get the? <coughs> pardon me. Did you get the invitation link from me? No. In your email. Let's re let me log in and resend that to you. Okay. And we'll make sure that uh, it's going to the right email address. Okay. Because sometimes they get. I mean, I got it. I got one on my UCO account, but. Okay. Let's send them to my. Email account too, if you want. Whatever you want. It's, okay. It doesn't matter to me as far as logging in. Let's just so. go to my Gmail because that way I get it on my phone too. Right. Actually, okay. Go ahead and just put in. I'm gonna make you an author. Go ahead and put in the username and email that you want, and then click Add User. Okay. I got the email earlier on, like last week. So what do I need to do? Um, to, as far as your first post on yeah. the blog, basically it was just to uh, say your professional goals and then what um, was a teacher who inspired you before. I'll, okay. And I'll show you on our uh, website under assignments, and this is what I'll do for this week too. And I, I, I did get the email, but um, it said that it would like expire. After a couple of days. Okay. I don't know if I would. Um, it should still work. Email, okay. email me at my UCO email address if you have problems. Okay. If you click on assignments here um, for week one, 
that's where it says the two things to do. So just your professional goals and then just tell a short story. Nothing long. It's like a paragraph of somebody who inspired you and was an inspirational teacher. And this is where we'll do our assignments each week. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Email me if you have trouble, but hopefully that will work. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh-huh.